So if you have a copy of God's word, join me in James chapter one. James chapter one. I've entitled this, you can see in the bulletin, an action-oriented church. And by that I mean we're doers of the word, not just hearers. Doers of the word and not just hearers. So what I wanna help you see this morning is the discipline of expository listening. Okay, you expect good preaching, right? I hope. I expect good listening. It's two sides to the same coin. You want good preaching? Well, a preacher that's going to come in here is going to want you to be actively listening. So what does that mean? And so what I want to do this morning is provide you with a biblical audiology. All right? How to get the most out of a sermon. And it's significant that we learn these disciplines. In essence, what we're going to see in James 1 is this mini worship guide. Now, I've hinted at the book of James. It's one of my favorite um, because James is, he's just to the point. It's the first New Testament book written, all right? So 49 AD, he comes out of the gate first after the resurrection and, and gets the first letter distributed to the churches. This was James. He was the half-brother of Jesus, so he grew up with Jesus in the house. Jesus was perfect. He was imperfect all the time. I'm sure there was tons of conflict um, in his heart about that and figuring that out. Um, and it's just uber practical. There, there are short, pithy, crisp commands. They're just like helpful. And you're going to see it as you look at the text with me this morning. As we read in a second, you'll go, ah, that is like memorable. That is like super helpful. Almost as if you were to write them on a t-shirt. It would be that kind of crisp and, and that kind of clarity. And most important, it's highly relatable. Even though written in AD 49, here we are in 2023, the fall of 2023, and Man, it is like we're living it ourselves right in front of us. As we approach chapter one, just a quick outline of chapter one, James has been helping us think through how to handle trials. You see that in James one and two, the classic passage there about handling trials. And then he helps us um, leading up to verse 19 on, on how to handle temptation. Where is the genesis of temptation? Where's it coming from? How do we deal with it? Who, are we blaming anybody? All these features of how to handle temptation. So if you are struggling with some serious temptation these days, you can go to James 1, uh, 3 and following, and you're going to go, wow, that's super helpful for us. And then he gets to the passage we're looking at this morning, and it's how to handle truth. My fear when I travel about is I see a lot of professional sermon listeners, meaning they hear the word but they have no plans to obey. They have no plans to let the word work in their life. There are no plans to make edits and changes and it transform them. So I think it's important for us to look at today what an action-oriented church looks like, even in preparation for a future pastor, right? I mean, if you're wanting a great preacher, he's, I promise you, he's coming and going, hey, are they good listeners? I mean, do they hear the word of God? And by that, I mean, not just hearing, but heeding. So it's Ears and heart, all in, action-oriented kind of church. Look at the text. We're in, in beginning in verse 19, and we're going to go all the way down um, to the end of uh, 25 there, okay? James writes, hey, know this, my beloved brothers, plural, all of us, let every person, every one of us in this room, be quick to hear, slow to speak. See what I mean? 
It's like t-shirt stuff. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man, you know, does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, also put away all filthiness and kind of crazy rampant wickedness and receive with meekness or humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. For if you're hearing only, you deceive yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, doesn't do anything. He goes away and forgets what he looked like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, which Bob was referencing in Psalm 119, the law of liberty, and perseveres through that, pushes through that, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Man, he will be blessed for his doing. The question before us is, are we a doing church? Are we good at expository listening? What are the criteria? What are the disciplines for a biblical audiology. Hearing and heeding are biblical expectations on all of us. Never is the case where they said, hey, go out and listen to the word all the time, but don't plan to do anything about it. That's not in the scriptures. That's foreign to the text. And so my prayer is the prayer of Samuel for you and for myself this morning, where Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What does it mean to really listen? What does it mean to listen and apply yourself to the word of God? Well, there's seven verses here, and let me give you six disciplines for expository listening. Let me borrow the outline from the author himself. Discipline number one, open your ears. Open your ears, right? Now, you want to connect the dots, right? So look at the verse preceding 19, which would be 18. And he states, James says, of his own will, he brought us forth, God brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. He's simply connecting the two. There's a chain here. It was the word of God that saved you, right? Psalm 119. It's also the word of God that transforms you or sanctifies you. It's the word of God who saves. It's the word of God who sanctifies. A lot of people, when they think about the book of James, they feel it's a little disorienting and a little disjointed. It's not. It's really tightly wound together. So he says, hey, it's the same scripture that saves you. It's going to be the same scripture that transforms you into the image of Christ to make you more like Jesus every single day. And so he says, listen, discipline number one, you've got to open your ears. You've been born again by the word. Now you need to be sanctified. Your experience of the new birth is followed by a new way of living. And that new way of living is expository listening, right? And so you need to listen to the word of God. The word of God is the means of salvation. It's also the means of your sanctification. So James is starting off by saying, listen, we need to have this insatiable appetite for the word of God that is evidenced in a new life in Christ. So if someone claims to be a Christian 
and claims to be in Christ, what he's saying there in the connection is then they will love the word of God. They'll have the insatiable appetite for the word of God. As the deer pants for the river brook, so my soul pants for thee, O God. And so there'll be this appetite and evidence. It's one of the easy early evidences when someone comes to Christ for the very first time. They will, point, they will tether themselves to the word of God. It's almost like they're getting soaked and immersed in the word of God because their eyes are open and they now see it for what it is. It's the word that saves. It's the word that sanctifies, right? And so he begins this little phrase, now this. It's really more emphatic than that. It's like an exclamation. It's like this. Now take note of this. James is saying, hey, it's the word that saved you. But it, if it saved you, it's also gonna be the same word that's gonna work in your life ongoing until you take your last breath. It's an imperative form. Now, don't forget this. That's what that little phrase in verse 19 is. Don't forget this. Don't set this aside. This is, this is important. This is awesome. You're gonna see it and you're gonna love it. You, you, you can't believe it, right? And then he says, my beloved brethren, this is a corporate worship guide. This is for all of us, not for individuals, although it can certainly be applied to us. He's making a transition He's saying, my beloved brothers, I think he's about to step on our toes, right? So he's setting us up a little. He goes, hey, my beloved brothers. <laughs> and then he's going to shazam us and kind of hit us hard on what it means to be an expository listener. So he's kind of got a, a little pastoral appeal in there. And then on top of that, he's going to come out with strong imperatives. And he says, everyone, all of us, this is for all of us. Let every person, no exceptions, you are never called to audit a sermon, right? You're never to take the cliff notes. You are to be all in hearing and planning to do something with it. It is going to transform every single Sunday we're here. No exceptions. All of us here, all of us sitting under the word of God. And he says, let us be quick to hear. What is he talking about? Is he talking about the speed of hearing? Be fast on your feet, sit up and be ready to hear? No, no. He's not talking about the speed of hearing. He's talking about the quality of your hearing. It's not the speed, it's the quality of your listening. Comprehension is in view in this phrase. In this clause, comprehension. In other words, when you listen to the word of God, it ought to grip you. It ought to feel like fresh. It ought to feel new as the preacher brings color and and character and direction to a particular text. It ought to be that kind. It's, it's the first on the list. Why? This is absolutely critical to you appreciating this passage. Because they didn't have Romans. They didn't have the first four Gospels, right? They didn't have Hebrews. They didn't have anything. Why? James is the first book written. So guess what? It's an oral culture. If you didn't hear the preacher well, if you didn't listen well... You didn't have a copy of God's word. Once the letters get distributed, even then you'd have it for a period of time and then it would be sent off to another region and to another church. You didn't have it. You didn't have a copy. You didn't have a personal copy. You don't have it on your iPhone. You don't have it on your iPad. You don't have it on the radio, in the car. Like you didn't have it. So if you didn't listen to Sunday morning, you were gonna miss out. It would actually retard your sanctification. It would actually dwarf your ability to grow in grace. And so this is absolutely critical that in an oral culture, you pay attention, is what he's saying. Be quick to hear. Listen up. You need to be really listening. And by that, he means ready 
to receive the word of God. It's the discipline of being a careful listener. It takes some preparation. It takes some work. It's the first duty of every member of a church and every congregation to be a good listener. So we've already said this before, but I'll say it again. The chief act of worship, there's many things we do. Giving, fellowship after is an act of worship. Um, Greeting one another, prayer, scripture reading, Bob did this morning, all acts of worship. But if there's a chief act of worship, it is the preaching of God's word, the explication of God's word. And in that, that is a moment, a monumentous time and a unique experience. Therefore, it requires of you to be a careful listener. When you sit under the word of God in an oral culture like they were in in the first century, it was absolutely critical. We make this statement. You might have heard it before. Sunday morning begins Saturday night. It really does. The reason we make that statement as pastors is because we want you to come ready. We've put 15, 20 hours of effort into this sermon or whatever sermon the preacher's preaching, right? You put a lot of work in there. And if you come in, you stayed up all night watching football, you watched UFC, you did the pay-per-view and you stayed up all night and you come dragging in here and fall asleep, well, that's not helpful for anybody. So that's why we say Sunday morning begins actually Saturday night. It's like pregame for us in our home. With my family, we're getting the clothes out. Um, we're trying to take out any of the distractions, you know, uh, what do we have for breakfast? What are, we've we've kind of thought through, well, the same thing's true for any pastor. He's doing pregame workup, right? And so he's, he's preparing his heart. You can go ahead, uh, you know, you can, you can call the office, Mary will be there and she'll tell you, here's what Dan's preaching on because I give it to her early in advance or whomever, Bob or whoever is uh, speaking. You can go over the text with your family. You can talk about it. You can pray over a meal. That doesn't mean every Saturday night you, you can't go out one Saturday night or two and have fun. I get it. I'm not being legalistic on you. But by and large, to me, Sunday's mornings is like critical path, right? I mean, I want to be on my A game. I want to be refreshed fully caffeinated, like ready to go. You know what I'm saying? I need a little help because I'm older, but you know, I, you know, you're just ready to go. You know, it's a time of self-examination. I mean, knowing that the Lord's table's here, that's a time of examination this morning. So you're doing all of that. So being tired, being unprepared, possibly kind of chewing on all the world's delicacies all week long, and you come for this moment, this 45 minutes, Man, you have got to be on your A game, Jane says. You gotta be like ready to go, ready to listen, right? You wanna be in a good expository listener. So poor listening in the first century would impoverish people because they wouldn't get it. There was no radios, there was nothing. There was no other resource other than what you remembered from the sermon Sunday as you might have shared in, in community. So careful listening of preaching and sermons is a cultivated spiritual dis- discipline or let me add a word, corporate cultivated discipline. You have to get good at it. For some of you, that means taking notes. For others, you're listening and you're remembering. You've got a good mind. You don't need to take notes. I'm okay with that. But it's careful listening is in play. That's what he says by slow to hear. Not the speed of our hearing, but the quality. Are you a good sermon listener? Right? Are you writing things down? What is the Lord teaching you? What I feel and see is there are far too many non-listening listeners. I'm looking at your eyes. The lights are on, but I'm not sure it's getting into the old 
ticker, into the old heart, right? You're about 18 inches away from being a good listener. You got the knowledge, but is it transforming your heart? That's about 18 inches of gap there. James says you got to go all the way. Hearing and heeding. Hearing and heart, right? Be quick to hear. And by that, he means, do you plan to do something with this sermon Sunday morning? That's basically what he's saying. Are you going to plan to do something with it on your own? You're going to apply the word of God to your life. Sometimes you'll have somebody complain and says, I'm not sure that guy's feeding me, that preacher. Our new preacher's not feeding me. You know what our response is on the other side of that? A little behind the veil. We're always going, I wonder if they come in hungry, right? If you're all filled up with the world's magic all week long and you come to Sunday morning, yeah, it's hard to penetrate fallow ground. It's hard to... And there's some other things that impede hearing. We'll see those in a second. But, you know, you always got to ask yourself the question, am I coming ready? I mean, I'm playing. Like, you're on the way to church, and you're, you need to look at your wife, guys, and say, you're game on. Holy Ghost setting down on our family today. What are we going to do about it? When you're going home, are you talking to the kids, right, and saying, hey, what would you guys get out of that? Anything? What, what, what is the Lord teaching us as a family, as individuals? We want to be like good Bereans, right? Always searching the scriptures. And I, I just fear a lot of times in churches, I look into blank eyes and I look into people who aren't, have no intention of hearing the word of God. I always love my, the guys in the back that, you know, as soon as, I mean, they're singing like they're going to a San Francisco Giants game and then the preaching comes on, they close their eyes and they're out. You know, I'm like, what the heck just happened? Like, how do you do that? Like, that's impressive. Kind of like an airplane, you know, you just fall asleep. But James is saying, listen, do we have a genuine readiness to hear the word of God, right? Do we have a general general readiness? Are we quick to hear? Are we that kind of people? And that's exactly what a pastor is going to want to know. And by that, he's saying, are you seizing every opportunity to both increase your exposure to God's word and your application of God's word again? It is the first duty of every congregant to be a good expository listener. It's the first discipline in a biblical ideology. It's what we have to do. It's what we must do, okay? Open, you know, be quick to hear. Open your ears. Second, see it in the text? Be quick to hear. Next, slow to speak. My point is this, close your mouth. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? The more you talk, the less you're probably listening, right? And it's amazing, look, when you look in the mirror, you should, see, he incarcerated your tongue. It's like in prison for a reason. You have teeth in front of there. He designed your physical body to say, hey man, keep your tongue shut. Keep your mouth shut. You're not really helping anybody by over-talking because if you're over-talking, you're probably not eating. You're not listening, right? It it gets in the way. And so he says, listen, not only are you quick to hear, but you got to close your mouth. Remember what Job 40, Job said in Job 41 to 4, he said this, I I said it once and then I realized and God kind of hammered him and he goes, what did I do? He said, I put a I put my hand over my mouth. Job said, I don't, I don't do this anymore, Lord. I'm not going to talk like this in church. It's not going to be helpful. It's what James is trying to remind us of. Why? We're all prone to this. I'm guilty of this. Pros, uh, prone to boasting, false boasting, 
making resolutions and commitments we don't plan to follow through, spiritual oaths that Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 6 say, don't do that. You know, we're all, we're all doing that. And I think we're currently living in an age where we're slow to hear and quick to speak. Let's reverse them, right? Do you agree with that? We're, we're slow to hear and probably quick to speak. And we need to flip that and get that back right in position in the oral salutis here. Get them in right position. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Not the other way around. Slow to hear and quick to speak. People love to hear themselves talk. I get that. I get it. Um, but when we get intoxicated with our own verbosity, it gets in the way of our ability to apply the word of God. And so James calls for the congregation to restrain their tongues, to hold back, right? And you really, you really see the connection here because if you're talking, right, you, you can't be listening. So you see he's saying, quick to hear, now close your mouth. Open your ears, close your mouth. See how simple and pithy and direct he is saying it, right? He, he, he wants us to be careful. And we also know, all of us know this, big talkers are rarely good listeners. They talk a good game. They don't plan to apply the word of God. And the tongue, the tongue alone is a huge issue for James. If you get to chapter Three, there's uh, 13 verses dedicated to the tongue. It's like a, a raging fire um, in California that blows smoke into this valley. Sorry about that. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's everywhere in James. The tongue is a, it's a huge deal. And then you, get, you go back to Ecclesiastes, which is kind of the James of the Old Testament. And you see it in, in, in Ecclesiastes 5 where it says, walk softly when you come into the house of God. Be slow to, to make a commitment. Don't make vows you're not planning to keep because the Lord might hold you to that vow, right? Think before you speak. Don't make rash commitments, this is what James is trying to teach us. It's a part of good expository listening. Again, I think it's dangerous to become a professional sermon listener where you're, you've got all the facts, but you don't have any life change that back it up. So we don't speak about others, right? And we don't make false boasting to God of things we're going to do. We're slow to speak. We, there's some restraint when you come into the house of God, when you walk in those doors, when you come on this campus, there ought to be a measure of restraint in play. I think it's also true that we forget Mark, uh, Matthew twelve thirty six, which states that we're going to give an account for every single word, it says, that proceeds out of our mouth. That's frightening, is it not? <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I, you know, my wife's always saying, hey, there's inside words and there's outside words, you know, and you keep conflating the two. You don't do that, you, you dumbo. Like, that hurts people. So you got to constantly be battling. There's some restraint that, that is in play. And it's easy when you're listening to preaching and you're looking around at church and you're like, I think, I think this would be good for someone else to apply to their life. We don't do that, you know. We don't say, hey, this would be good for such and such person. Where does it always start? Me. The word of God starts first with the preacher. When I stand behind the sacred desk, I've come at a conviction all week long. I've been sitting at the feet of this text. So when I get up here, that's why we're a little, you know, wild-eyed and crazy because 
we're all convicted and jammed up and messed up. And so we're trying to work through our junk. But I've got five days of working on my junk. You're just hearing it for the first time now. You know, bang, you've got to deal with it, right? And that's what good sermon listening does. But I don't like to apply it to everybody else. I want to start with myself. Where do I need to shut my mouth, right? Where do I need to open my ears to, to hear the word of God? It'll save us from being shallow. It'll make us into good good sermon listeners. It's really how you get the most out of, of a sermon. If you, if you close your mouth, you'll actually learn a ton. There was an old proverb, goes like this. It's better to keep your mouth closed and be thought stupid than open it and leave no doubt about it, right? That's a lot of times where I am. Number three, control your temper. Control your temper. So before the shirts came out that say keep calm and drink coffee and keep calm and go to Jacksonville and the, you know, whatever you do with your calm, <clears throat> there was James going, keep calm. He's basically saying, hey, tamp it down a little bit. When you come on campus, you're going to need some forbearance. There's a, there's a host of sinners in this room, and we're all getting together, and we're going to need some forbearance, right? We have to control ourselves. And he says, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We've got to be careful how we treat others, right? We can't be resentful towards others. We can't be bitter because why? Anger inhibits worship. Nothing quenches the spirit of God quicker than anger and bitterness in your heart. And just so you know, anger and bitterness are both controlled emotions, right? You can control them. That's why you don't fly off at your boss. Why? Because you're going to get fired. So you seem to have control. Then you go home and you're like crazy. Guys, that's what we do. We go home, we're crazy. You know, and then we, and our boss, we're like, oh, he's so kind. You're like, ha, 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 So James knows this. He, he knows that we're tempted to kind of, it's the word ange, or, or it, it's, it, it's a word for deep-seated kind of resentment more towards others. It's more horizontal in nature. Resentment towards one another, resentment towards your pastors, resentment towards your elders, resentment towards your worship team, whatever it is. And this isn't righteous anger. I know you're probably thinking, isn't righteous anger in the Bible? Yeah, and it's probably 1% of the anger that's in the world, and you're probably not doing it. You know, That's righteous anger. Jesus demonstrated that. But this in play is not righteous anger. It's very unrighteous. An uncontrolled ang- anger means an uncontrolled speech, right? They're, they're all connected. They're all daisy-chained together. Do you see the linkage? So he says, listen, it produces, and I've seen this over and over again where a church gets angry at each other and a church goes from a lighthouse to a towering inferno and on fire. Anger and malice and man, it gets ugly and, and, and messy. And he says there, the most important thing is that it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't help anybody it, it offends everybody and it even offends God, right? It doesn't bring out God's desires. So what he's simply saying is cut some slack. Cut slack with each other. Give grace to each other. A love covers a multitude of sins. We saw this. It drives people away. So James says, hey, knock off the sinful motivated anger. This is not righteous anger. This is a fleshly response. And a fleshly response never produces the righteousness of God. It never does. 
So you can't have an angry spirit. So James says, listen, in our discipline, in our mini worship guide, if you're going to be a good listener, a good expository listener of biblical audiology, you've got to open your ears, you've got to close your mouth, and you've got to control your temper. Calm it down. Bring it down a notch. Number four out of six. You have to clean your heart. You have to clean your heart. Look what he says there. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Therefore, D-O, it's connecting verse 21 to verses 19 and 20. It's what it looks like. This is how you receive the word of God. You've got to put off some things. And what he does is he kind of changes uh, metaphors and he moves to a clothing metaphor. He, he, he's basically going to say, you've got to take off your dirty clothes and put on fresh, clean clothes when you come into worship, when you come into the house of God. It's a clothing metaphor. You've got to strip away the dirty ones, and you've got to add in the clean ones. In 2012, I was doing a mission trip to Uganda, Africa, and... Um, no shower accessible all week. Seven days preaching, seven days grinding. Very, you know, didn't change clothes a whole lot. It was hotter than blazes. And um, I remember getting on the plane and I'm flying to Amsterdam. And I was like, what is that smell? I said, these Africans smell. They really, they don't use deodorant like we use. Like, that's just... And then it kind of dawned on me that there was not a lot, it was a night flight, and there was not a lot of people on the plane. So I, then I went, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's me, you know. I smelled horrible. That's kind of what he's asking here. He's like, you smell horrible when you come into the house of God. Like, and so I get to Amsterdam to finish the story, and I literally threw everything away. They had little like showers. You could pay like 20 euros and get a shower. And I went in and the only like store that was open at the time was like George Armani's store. And so it was like high end. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna walk out of here naked. I gotta go buy a pair of pants. So when I get off the plane, I look, because I'm not the body shape for, you know, I'm not a skinny guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I, I came off the plane and my wife just looks at me with like a flashy belt. Like I look like I'd been in the movie Taken or something, you know, <laughs> good luck, you know. And I just I, like looked horrible. She's like, really? Are you, what are you doing? You know, but I was clean. And that's the point. You, you know, I was clean of heart. I got rid of all the vestiges of stink that was on me. And it was me. I was the problem. And sometimes we look around the church and we go, why does it smell so bad? And then you realize, I think it's me, right? I think it's me. Well, basically he's saying we need to be cleansed. That's how you receive the word of God. So he's saying you've got, to, you, you've got these worship inhibitors that are in our lives and you've got to get rid of those. You've got to come with a clean heart. There's got to be repentance. If you're a good expository listener, you're coming into the sermon with, man, I'm broken, I'm jacked up, I need help, I need grace. I mean, we're going from, from last Sunday to next Sunday. A lot of things happen. Like you've got to kind of limp into the house of God, right? You got to get here and you need grace. And so he's basically saying, get rid of all, any and all of these worship inhibitors. Now, this is a New Testament pattern, right? Putting off and putting on. It's a clothing metaphor. You're to put off a sin and you're to put on a righteous attribute that counteracts it. For example, when is a thief no longer a thief? Most people say when he stops stealing. No, that's halfway home. He stops stealing and he gets a job. 
right? And he gets to be a contributor in culture and society. Same thing's true of us. It's not enough for you just to say no to sin. You've got to say yes to the righteous spirit-induced fruit of the spirit, right? In Galatians chapter five, it's both. You got to put off sin and you got to put on a righteous attribute. So he's saying, you got to put off these things that are inhibiting your worship and you've got to put on the implanted word of God. You've got to bring in the word of God. You've got to breathe it in. You've got to sit under it and soak in it a little bit. So that's a New Testament pattern. It's also all in. See what he says? There, therefore put away all filthiness and all rampant wickedness, and then you can receive it. There, there's got to be a casting aside. It's repentance, right? It's how you start your prayers. Lord, man, I messed up. Lord, man, I was wrong. And so this filthiness and all that remains in wickedness, it's, it's any moral defilement, um, any deliberate sin. It's kind of the, I call it like your depravity hangover, things that are in your past that keep cropping back up, right? They keep coming back and biting you. It's deliberate sin. It's sins of omission, sins of commission. You know, it's, it's, it's a part of the deal. You've got to confess all of that. Anything that corrupts and reduces your appetite for the word of God. And that's what does happen. When sin enters in, it corrupts. It tarnishes. It weakens you so that you won't be on your A game and listening. So you're praying for this honest, clean, to the best of my knowledge, Lord, I'm right with you this morning. Now, Lord, speak. Your servant listens. That's that Samuel prayer, right? We're to strip away all the dirty dealings and all the stuff in our hearts that happen all week long. So when we sit under the word of God, we're ready to hear it. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It should be kind of our our pre-worship habit. You know how pre-game, you know, you ever watch Michael Phelps in the Olympics and he's got his headphones on, his hoodie on, his towel on. I mean, all of that, all of that is for a couple minutes in sports, but he's got a whole routine. You should have a Sunday morning routine. You should be, and that's why I say it starts Saturday night. You're getting good rest. You're on your A game. You've read the text. You're like, what's he gonna say about that? You got questions, you're curious. You're, I mean, all of that is pre-game worship, right? You say, well, I don't know what to repent of. Well, repent of unwillingness to listen. Repent of sinful speech towards one another. Repent of an unrighteous anger incident during the week. All that stuff's gotta come out. And that's why you'll, you'll learn that the repentance, as Proverbs 6.23 says, it's a way of life, Right? It's a way of life. That's, we're always repenting. We always have soil garments to deal with. So when you come to worship, number four, you have to have a clean heart. Otherwise, it's going to inhibit you getting the most out of that sermon. Number five, you have to humble your pride. You have to humble your pride. And then he says, with meekness, you receive the implanted word which is able to save and sanctify your soul. You cannot come to church with a chip on your shoulder. If you do, you won't get anything out of the message and you might inhibit everybody else getting something out of the message. As a matter of fact, if you wanna know how to destroy a church, get a chip on your shoulder. Get real bitter, get all angry and sassy and watch what happens. A little leaven leavens the what? The whole. 
Yeah, the whole. Pride inhibits the necessary hearing of God's word, right? See, in this case, the word meekness, which he uses again in chapter three, and as it gets developed, you're, you're starting to realize, okay, humility is clearly in play, right? And you have to humble your pride. What the issue is, is unteachableness. You're unteachable. And I don't know about you, but when someone says that about me, and I've had people say that in my 58 years, it's kind of one of the hardest things to hear, that you're unteachable, right? I mean, it's kind of like the big one. It's like a a roundhouse to the side of your head. It's like, man, unteachable, really? Are we, I mean, that's, that's not good. It's, it's because it's a reflection of arrogance, right? And he, and he switches now from a clothing metaphor to a horticulture one, the implanted word, as its seed goes into your heart, takes root and produces this oak like you see in Psalm 1, right? He changes metaphors. Through humility... We break up the fallow ground. Through humility, we prepare the soil for the seed, right? We want to receive the whole counsel of God. And so he says, listen, you have to humble your pride. That's why John the Baptist said, and he was a stud. He's out in the wilderness, crazy, wild-eyed, hairy, eating bugs and stuff. And he's like, but at the end of the day, I must decrease is what he said. He must increase. I must decrease. So you got to kind of come on campus going, hey, tamp it down, get calm. I got to decrease I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm here to hear the word of God. I'm here to be transformed, right? Got to clear all the rubble. You got to clear up and break up the fallow ground. There's, a, there's almost a sense of urgency as he wraps up this section here. Why? Because it's the same word that saves you. It's the same word that sanctifies you. I don't care what you wear to church, but there's one garment you have to have on when you come into this church, and that's Humility. And that's why Peter said what? Clothe yourself with humility. Isaiah 66, 2 says, to this man will I look. You want to get God's attention? He was humble and contrite and trembles at my word. That's the kind of, that's the kind of attention that gets God's attention. That's the kind of attraction that gets God's attention. When we walk in humility, the soul's appropriate garment is humility. So no matter what you wear in here, we really don't care. But the one garment we would ask you to have to get the most out of every sermon is the garment of humility. So James says, open your ears. Close your mouth. Keep calm. Clean your heart. Humble your pride. And then there's number six. And that is move your feet. Move your feet to action. This is why I dubbed this sermon an action-oriented church. So he wants to tell a little bit of a tale about a guy. He says, you gotta move your feet to action. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. This is the word day, but day. It's a transition word. It's like he's saying, and one more thing, and this is the big one. He's about to drop the bomb. One more thought, one more final thought, a sixth final imperative. This is not elective, it, these are imperatives. Just listening is not enough, it is a call to action, right? Personal application. Can I give you an insight into your new pastor? And you don't even know who he is yet. There's nothing that encourages a pastor more when they've labored in the word all week for you to come up and tell them what God, how God taught you that morning. And I know the natural temptation is to walk up and say, hey, that was a good sermon. 
that doesn't mean anything to us. Like, you might be just being nice, which I appreciate. But I want to know what, you know, like John, third John, where he says, I, I hear that my children are walking in the truth. There's nothing that brings out more joy in a pastor. You come up and say, hey, I was convicted because I threw a paper towel rack at my wife. I know you wouldn't do that. I'm just, it's for, it's for drama. I did something stupid this week, and, but I am so convicted. I'm going to repent and have repent. I'm going to go home and ask for forgiveness, and I got to get a new paper towel rack, you know. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've got to do all these things, Pastor. You've got to help me with this. That's kind of what he's trying to do with some embellishment here. It's a pastor's highest joy. Not a good sermon. Don't try to discipline yourself never to do that. Never come up and say, that was a good sermon. Come up and say, this is what God taught me through your sermon. And sometimes it will be what I said, and sometimes it will be what the Spirit said to you, and I'll just agree to both, right? And so will your new pastor. So just listening is not enough. This is what I'm planning to do about it, sir. Pastor, this is what I'm going to do this week. I've been bitter and I've been mad at Jimmy Crack Corn. I'm going to go to him on Tuesday. We're having coffee and I'm going to tell him I was wrong. Wow, that's awesome, right? It's transformational expository preaching. That's what the goal is. That's the aim here. That's what we put all the work in for. It's biblical hearing and heeding coupled together. And oh, let me remind you, It's not how much you get of the word of God. It's how much the word of God gets a hold of you. That's what really matters. And some of you, you can be filled with knowledge. But again, 18 inches, you you gotta plan to do something with it. So expository doers. Expository listeners and expository doers are in play. Not merely big talkers, but active listeners. Planning to do something about it. Again, It's dangerous to train yourself to not obey. You get in the habit of not obeying and checking out on the sermons and not really writing anything down, not planning to apply the word of God, not asking your spouse about it, not going out on date night talking about it. You're putting yourself at risk. I'm just warning you there. I want to, that's careless listening. I want you to be a careful listener. Why? Look at the text because you're going to delude yourself. And that's frightening. If you delude yourself, that means you're just getting the happen of hearing and not planning to do anything about it. You're, 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 it's, you're impoverishing your marriage. You're impoverishing your soul. Um, you'll, you'll defraud. It's the word for defraud. You're actually defrauding yourself. That's crazy. We hate when we're defrauded by someone else. This is you actually doing it to yourself. You're cheating yourself. Why would you do that? That's crazy. And then he gives a little analogy. You got Mr. Forgetful and Mr. Faithful. And he said, so there's this guy. He said, this guy's got a story for us. This is a guy. And that guy, he goes up to a mirror. He looks in the mirror. His hair's jacked up. Wily hair. He's got a big blob of cream cheese from the bagel that morning, from Einstein's bagel right here. He looks in the mirror and he goes, ha, that is awesome. And he goes out. And everybody's looking at him all day and going, what happened to Bob's beard? Like what, you know, it's all this way. It looks, you know what I'm saying? He's Raleigh fingers, you know, like what is going on? Like, it doesn't make any sense. That's what he's trying to say. He's like, who does that? Nobody. And here's the kicker. When you understand first century, you think they had really good mirrors? Like all the mirrors in my house make me look super thin. You ever do that? Like I leave the house and I'm like, man, I am, I'm ripped. And then I go by a cell window and I'm like, holy cow, my side profile is like hideous, you know? 
I, I'm like, I could topple over. I've got ankles this big. I'm like a pear. You know, I could just fall over like a wobble any point, you know. And, and so you do that. You look in the mirror and you go, huh. You didn't brush your teeth. Your hair's jacked up. No, you get ready for the day. That's what he's saying. It's the same thing. Why, who would do that? Mr. Forgetful, right? He, he just, he looks in the mirror. Now, first century mirror, you think it's good glass? No, right? And that's the whole point. You have to loiter a little bit. You have to lean in. That was not like, it was like a mirror after you had a hot shower and you kept the door closed and your vent wasn't good enough because you're too cheap to buy a good fan, right? And so it fogs it. You can't really quite see everything, right? That's what he's saying. You had to really loiter. You had to lean in. He said, that's the kind of listening you have to do. You have to kind of lean in a little bit. You have to really stare. You have to see, check your mustache, look in your teeth. Is there any green stuff from the salad the night before? Like, is there anything in, the, you know, like you're kind of right. You're, you're gonna, the ladies do this all the time. They're really disciplined at it. My wife's, that mirror has got fingerprints on it on my side. Like, mine is perfect. It's clean. It's got a garage door opener. Hers has got like makeup smears. And I'm like, why do you destroy my truck? I don't understand. But why? Because she's always checking. It's a parable. That's the kind of listener. You got to lean in. We're not just hearers. James says, we got to be doers of the word, right? We, we can't be Mr. Forgetful. We have to be Mr. Faithful. He sees, he makes edits, corrections. Next week's coming, right? Makes edits, corrections, repentance, right? And, and it. And, and it's straightforward. You can't, you can't be that person. You can't be that guy. You can't be that lady. Which one are you? Are you Mr. Forgetful? Or Mr. Faithful? Where you look in and you see and you move on or you see and you stop and go, wow, I need to make some changes. I need to make some changes. Well, there's your set of six disciplines for a mini worship guide that are before you. And if you do so, he says, listen to the rest of this. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, man is like a man who looks in the mirror, sees that big blob of cream cheese from an Einstein bagel on his natural face in a mirror and he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he was like. But if, if you're the guy or gal who stops and looks into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, and perseveres through it, makes the edits, does the hard work on your soul, being no longer a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Then he will be blessed of his doing. That's the kind of church we want, right? You want to be blessed. You want the blessings of the Lord. But it takes being a good listener. You want good preaching. We want good listening. Is that fair? I mean, that's a fair deal. You want him to put in the effort? You don't want him coming in all sloppy like you read the daily bread, the same thing you read and tries to throw a message together on Sunday morning. That's horrible. Like you say, I read the same verse this morning in daily bread. He's cheating. And you want him to do the hard work? We want you to do the hard work. So be fearful of being a professional sermon listener. Stay away from that category. And the way you do that is to take these six disciplines and roll them into your heart, think through it, work through it as a family and as each other. And then we'll be doers of the word. We'll be an action-oriented church. People come and say, man, when they hear the word of God, they act. There's urgency. 
They take action, right? They, they make moves. They make big moves if they have to. They make little moves when they have to. They're awesome, right? That's the kind of church you want to be a part of when everyone around you, and I guarantee you can have a bad Sunday. You can have a bad month. I get that. But most of the time, everybody around you is doing it. You're going to go, you're going to kind of feel guilty. Like, I guess I got to start applying the word of God to my life too. Not just Les needs this, you know. Poor Les, I'm sorry. I picked on you. True. True. Thank you. Thank you, Les. All right. Well, let's pray. And then we're going to transition um, into the Lord's Supper. And I'll, I'll fence the table a little bit for us this morning. And we'll, we'll participate in the meal of all meals, the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for um, your goodness to us. Thanks for James. Man, growing up with Jesus had to be tough. Yet he comes out swinging here. First book, New Testament, strong, clear, crisp. In an oral culture, how to listen. We need to hear it today. Lord, we need this more than ever. And we just ask that you'd continue to to teach us and help us to apply this six discipline set here in in James um, chapter one. We ask this in the name of King Jesus. Amen.